Hello, I'm Pastor Zach Hoffman, and I'm the pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Gainesville, Georgia, where we seek to know Christ and love one another. We do this by witnessing faithfully, transforming our homes into places where the Word of God dwells, and by investing in the communities around us. We hope that you enjoy this podcast, and if you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning, our service times are at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. God's blessings. Before we begin today, we'll start again with a reminder to please uh, bring your Bibles to church. This is a great way as we walk through the Gospel of Matthew uh, to take notes and to highlight things so that as you read through Matthew later on, uh, you'll be able to remember some of the insights uh, that we have here. Uh, Hopefully they're insights. We'll try anyway. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today is from Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you're listening to the gospel reading, you would know that, or at least have some idea, that there are two kingdoms competing against one another, even in the space of just a few small verses. If you look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, if you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 4, you can look down at verse 16, and it says this, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And those are your two kingdoms. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of heaven, which is the kingdom of light. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of heaven. And I would argue that it's a lot easier for us to spot the kingdom of darkness. And that's because it's something that we are born into. It's all around us in this world. The kingdom of darkness is not just in the places that were listed and in our text where it says Zebulon, Naphtali, that's northern Israel, and beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles. These are really specific places, but we know that the kingdom of darkness goes well beyond that. It goes everywhere. It's here, even. Whenever you see the kingdom of darkness, you are seeing death. You're seeing decay. You're seeing physical things break down, like cars or or trees being overcome with disease, and so they fall over. You're seeing even physical breakdowns of of human bodies, whether it's a cold or something more serious, or even death. The kingdom of darkness is reaching everywhere. Everywhere we're surrounded by unbelief. And Isaiah 25 talks about it this way. The kingdom of darkness is like a veil or a covering that is over every people and every nation. But here also we see the kingdom of heaven begin to break into this specific place. And again, the geography is really specific. We've already pointed it out. Matthew chapter 4, verse 15. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. This is northern Israel. This is north of Jerusalem. This is an area of the world that was once ruled by a man named King Ahaz. He was a ruler of the northern kingdom of Israel. And King Ahaz, as we read about him in Isaiah's book, we find out that he chose the ways of man, his own advice over the ways of God and the prophet's advice. And so he plunged the northern kingdom of Israel into violence and into death and into darkness. These people here have been dwelling in darkness for a long time. And yet, Jesus puts both feet on the ground in this territory, and he 
begins by saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom that Jesus is bringing is breaking into this place. Light is coming here. And, and notice this. Whenever you walk into a room that's dark, let's say later this evening, you might walk into your living room or a bedroom, and you turn on the light. Whenever you do that, you don't have to wave your arm around and say, I've got to get all this darkness out of here, right? So that way I can see. So you kind of have to move the darkness around. When you turn on the light, the darkness is immediately overcome, right? And the darkness has to go to the corners of your room, or behind the couch, or behind the bookcase, or wherever else you don't vacuum, even though you should. And so the light fades. Or the light actually causes the darkness to fade. I'm sorry, the light causes the darkness to fade. Instantly, light overcomes darkness. And we see that going on here. Jesus speaks, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And in what follows, we notice how that kingdom of darkness is being thrown back. This verse that we read in verses 15 and 16 that talks about the land of Zebulon and Naphtali and Galilee and the people dwelling in darkness, this comes from Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And in Isaiah chapter 9, if you were to continue to read that chapter, picking up where Matthew does and then moving on, you would come to some familiar words. Like, for example, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. And then there's those famous titles that we hear about the Messiah who will be born. Things like how he will be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. And then it also says this, of his government, or the increase of his government, there will be no end. That this king, Messiah, who comes, will bring light. And when that light shines, it will really shine. It will overcome the darkness. And we can see how that goes. Jesus will call disciples after we hear him say, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he will heal those who are sick. And this is just the start of Jesus' ministry. And then by the time we get to the bottom of chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles open, that's verse 25. You can read this. Great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. That's Matthew chapter 4, verse 25. Great crowds followed him. John the Baptist before this had great crowds too. Well, actually he had crowds. He doesn't even use the word great to describe the number of people who came out to see John the Baptist. So we should note that. And John the Baptist drew from Jerusalem and all of Judea and beyond the Jordan. But Jesus is doing that and then some because he's drawing great crowds and they're coming from Galilee and the Decapolis as well as Jerusalem, Judea, and all beyond the Jordan. The light has come in Jesus Christ and that light is overcoming darkness right away. Just as when you flip the switch, Jesus begins to preach and his speaking casts out darkness. The kingdom of darkness is a top-down kingdom. By that I mean darkness loves to use the authority structures that are in place, people of power, to continue to spread its reign. So the kingdom of darkness will use kings and emperors and princes and presidents and prime ministers and dictators as 
its priests. Priests being those who will go and teach the message of darkness to all others. And so it is oftentimes that these leaders lead entire nations into darkness through warfare, through genocide, through abortion. The policies of darkness always lead to death. They always lead to death. And the teaching of darkness is false hope. Darkness will lead us to despair of the world around us and of the people around us. And yet for the sake of power, we'll be told everything is coming to an end, but vote for me and you might be saved. The kingdom of darkness is man-made. Through Adam's sin and death entered into the world. And now we continue to see its results. The kingdom of darkness will work even through parents and grandparents that pass on its teachings to the next generation. Teachings in the ways of sin and teachings and policies that lead to death. The kingdom of heaven is not a top-down kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is an upside-down kingdom. Jesus will call Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, James, and John, fishermen in this region of Galilee. After that, the rest of his disciples would be made up of doubters and skeptics and violent zealots that most people don't want to associate with, and even one who would prove untrustworthy in the end. This is how Jesus begins his kingdom. In an upside-down way, with the lowly. In our house, there's a law that I would say almost is a law of nature that takes place. You see, if you take an iPad or a phone and you put it on a couch or on an ottoman or on a table, anything that isn't anything more than, let's say, four feet high, instantly, I mean within seconds, that phone or that device will be filled with selfies and pictures and video and who knows what else, all from our children. It happens in about two minutes. It happened to me three weeks ago. My phone memory was full because one of my kids got a hold of my phone. My thumbs are still tired from deleting photos. I have not been able to use this thumb for three weeks. Because if you leave it where they can get it, it will be in hand. When we read here Jesus' first sermon, it says, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some translations might say near, the kingdom of heaven is near. But I like that hand better because it shows you more of what Jesus is doing. He's not just bringing the kingdom and laying it on the couch where we might find it. He's actually putting it in the hands of those that he calls. So these lowly disciples that he will call, he will put the kingdom in their hands. Soon he will teach them how to pray, thy kingdom come. Then he will send them out with nothing, no bread, no bag, no money, no belt. And go out into the surrounding area and, re and preach the same message that I've been preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when they come back, he will also teach them the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Like, for example, how the kingdom of heaven is like a small mustard seed. Almost unseeable for how small it is. For God, underwhelming. But when planted, it soon becomes a large visible, noticeable, overwhelming tree. 
And then he will give them the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He will take these lowly and he will give them the power to forgive sins or to withhold sins for those who are blatantly unrepentant. And then, after his death and resurrection, he will meet them again in this same spot in Galilee and send them out to the ends of the earth, saying, take the things that I have taught you. Take the sacraments and my preaching. Take baptism and the Lord's Supper and put them in the hands of everyone who will hear. The kingdom of darkness has only man-made solutions. The kingdom of darkness only has man-made solutions. That's the best we can offer. So, if you wonder why politics can separate families and destroy friendships, it's because so often we find ourselves looking to those things for salvation. We have a way of taking baptism and Lord's Supper and the means in which the, the way that God saves, the way that God delivers His people, and turning our sacraments into bills and policies. Failing that, then we turn to science and reason. Failing that, then we turn to our own philosophies. And failing that, we turn to blame. Where people around us are the real obstacles, the people in the way of progress, the people who are holding things back, the people who are stopping us from getting to a better state. And then failing that, there is guilt. Because we recognize that the problems are way too many. The world has far too many crises for any of us to solve. And when we get real honest, we recognize that we also are a part of the problem. Through our sin, through our disregard of others, through our turning away to God, from God. Guilt is a dominant theme in the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of heaven, though, is not about man-made solutions. In fact, it's actually not really about solutions at all. Not, not in one way of speaking. It's about something different, something deeper, something better. It's about restoration. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 begins with this word, Jesus' first sermon, where he takes the stage, where his ministry begins to take off. The first thing he speaks in this turning point in the Gospel of Matthew is this, repent. Repent. Kingdom of darkness at the corner of the market with shallow apologies for sure. But it knows nothing of repentance. Repentance is where God finds us and turns us back to Himself. Repentance is where God finds us and turns us back to Himself. The word repent isn't just advice. It's not just an action you should consider taking. It's not just guidance from God. But the word repent is a powerful word. It's a word that turns on the light and kicks out the darkness of those who hear it and believe it. The word repent transforms and changes us. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is a powerful call from the king of the kingdom of heaven. Repent is a word that restores. How do you establish a kingdom? 
anyway. Well, you do it by winning a victory after a victory after a victory. And so the kingdom grows. One thing has to be defeated. Another thing has to win. So it is then whenever you hear about great kings of the past, typically their glory comes from what they did in battle. This king won the battle of, and then there's a specific name and place, right, where the battle happened, and that's the name of the battle. So that also you can go and look it up. You can read about the king's glory and how he brought victory to his nation and to his people. This king won the battle of this, and he won the battle of this, and he won the battle of this. Each place is named, typically whenever you're thinking about kings, and how they are glorified, and how their kingdom grew and spread. And so also, we have names here. As we read through from following Matthew chapter 17, going into verse 18, we have people that would have remained anonymous, people who we never would have known. But Jesus calls them, saying, come follow me. And so Simon called Peter and Andrew, and then later James and John are named. Because Jesus has won the battle of Peter. Jesus has won the battle of Andrew with his call. He has won the battle of James and the battle of John. Jesus calls from his own authority. And by that authority, he overwhelms the life of those he calls and claims them for his own. And in a few moments in this service, we're going to read through a list of names of those who have departed from us, friends and family, and even people within our congregation. And there's sorrow in that. And there's real grief. And you should be ashamed of those things. And feel it for what they are. But also, we will be reading a list of victories. One after the other. Each name was a name called and claimed and a life conquered by Jesus Christ. Each name was brought into His kingdom and the kingdom of darkness was cast out from the waters of baptism. Each name represents a victory. Maybe your name one day will find its way on a list that we have like this. But if not, you know this, that your name has already been claimed and you have already been conquered by Christ. Your name is written in His book of life and one day that role will be called and at that moment will be the sweetest victory. So joy, not grief, not guilt. Joy is the major theme in this kingdom. Joy is remarkable. The fact that God is a son given to us, not against us, not come to annihilate us with the judgment that we so rightfully deserve, but a king in Jesus who has come to bring restoration. And we see his victory all around, even in the midst of great darkness. We see it when we think of those saints that we visited in the hospital in the past, who, in spite of their life-threatening circumstances, would joyfully and freely minister to nurses and doctors and everyone who came into the room, telling them of the gospel because they too could see the victory. 
will rejoice over grandparents who firmly said, you will have that child baptized. We rejoice over parents who, who taught us how to fold our hands and pray. We rejoice over friends who would always call us out for our dishonesty. In the many ways that it came, hold us accountable, keep us in repentance. These are names, too. And these names give us joy. In fact, even if the names read start to cause you to tear up, know this, that every tear of grief that you cry is one tear closer to the last tear you'll ever cry. Joy is the opposite. Every glimmer of joy, every little bit of laughter, every time happiness is expressed in this world, for those who believe it is a foreshadowing of the joy unending that will come. Jesus has come to bring his kingdom. And joy is its main theme. Because we also rejoice in the victory that we share together with the saints. Jesus has come. And he has taken a victory lap from Galilee where it began, marched through the gates of death, and returned again to Galilee to send his disciples out so that we too might know from one generation to the next, from one saint to another, that with this sentence, with this phrase, Jesus changed the entire world. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand.